Well, I'm going to start in verse number one. We're going to focus on verses seven through 12, but, but this is such a good chapter that I'm going to start in verse number one. And so Psalm 139, beginning in verse number one, the Bible says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. And certainly so much of what we have been talking about uh, as we've studied who God is, uh, we could say that. It's too wonderful. It, it's, 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 uh, it's so much new. I mean, we, we know so much of this about God, and yet we're always going to find something new to discover that he's revealed about himself, and uh, it, it's, it's hard to, to grasp it. And uh, thankfully, uh, as we saw a couple weeks ago, that's not what we have to worry about. We just have to worry about trusting him. Uh, look at verse number seven. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. And uh, today we're going to look at God's omnipresence. And so let me give you a definition for it there in your handout. God uh, is not limited by space, yet he is present throughout all space. Uh, we know that through God's infinitude, God is not limited. He has no boundaries. Uh, we saw that through God's eternality, he's not limited by time, he's not contained by time. And so as we look at God's omnipresence today, we see that he's not limited by space. God does not have size or spatial dimensions. We cannot say, even though uh, we saw a couple weeks ago that God measures the heavens with a span and he holds all the water in the world in the, in the palm of his hand and the hollow of his hand, and, and we can kind of guesstimate, it gives us a rough idea, but, but even that we, whatever we'll imagine about how big God is, is not accurate because God is not uh, contained by that. He is present in every point of space in his entire being. And so when we think about this idea of omnipresent, to be present, uh, to be present means close to or next to or here at this time at this moment. And when we add the prefix omni or omni, that gives it uh, universality. It takes it to the degree of being everywhere all at once. And so when we say that God is omnipresent, we say that God is everywhere here. God is everywhere here. God is close to everything. God is next to Everyone Again, it's God's infinitude applied to his presence. He surrounds his finite creation and contains it. There is no place beyond him for anything to be. Uh, go to 1 Kings chapter number 8. 1 Kings chapter number 8. And look at verse number 27. 
1 Kings chapter number 8 and verse number 27. This is Solomon building the temple. And obviously we know that Solomon's father, King David, wanted to build a temple um, as uh, a, a symbol of God's presence, a symbol of God's glory, not to contain God's presence, not that that would be the only place for God's presence, because we see that as Solomon prays to dedicate the presence or the temple, uh, that he even says, this is not, that this cannot contain your presence, God. Look at verse number 26. Uh, and now, O God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee, be verified, which thou spakest unto thy servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. Uh, go to Second Chronicles chapter 2. Second Chronicles chapter 2. Second Chronicles chapter 2, we see basically the same story uh, restated. But Second Chronicles 2, and look at verse number 5, it says, In the house which I uh, build, this is Solomon again talking, is great, for great is our God above all gods, but who is able to build him in house? Seeing the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain him. Who am I then that I should build in house save only to burn sacrifice before him? Uh, Solomon says the universe cannot contain God. God is not contained uh, by size or by space. The extent of our universe, you know, we talked about it a few weeks ago in God's infinitude, and we tried to, to put into numbers how far across the universe is, you know, that God measures like that. And we said it's, you know, billions of light years across, and one light year is 93 billion miles so it's just a number that we cannot even comprehend, and yet that is so much smaller than what God actually is because he is not contained uh, in a number that we can wrap our minds around. God is far beyond that. The heaven above and beyond the universes cannot contain God. And again, this ought to just remind us, and we'll look at this a little bit further, but, but to remind us that, that we cannot contain God within a simple box of our understanding. Uh, we cannot put God in a, in a box, a, a small box. We cannot have a small God. We cannot have a, a small understanding of who God is. Uh, we've got to understand that he is beyond all these things. As we read uh, both here in 2 Chronicles, 1 Kings, and then also in the book of Psalms, we see that it's not just that God can reach and be present in heaven, which is the highest of the highs, or representing the highest of the highs. It's not just that God can reach down uh, to the depths of hell, the lowest of the lows. It's not just that God can reach as far as any one of us can run from him, uh, the farthest of the fars. It's that God is already in each and every single one of those places simultaneously ready to lead and guide and waiting to hold on to us when we fall into his arms. You know, think about that. God's omnipresence. In fact, go back to Psalm 139, if you will. God's omnipresence is not just that God can be in heaven and that God can be, I'm not going to say hell, but you know what I'm talking about, the lowest of the lows in life. It's not just that God can go from the east to the west. 
It's that God can be in all of those places at the same time in his fullness. Uh, Psalm 139, we just read it, verse number eight. If I ascend up into heaven, that's the high, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Uh, and notice, and again, I've claimed this before and still will hold to it. I'm no English major, but when David talks about where God is, he said, present tense, you're there. He does not say that you were there. He does not say that you will be there. You are there. Heaven, you're there. Hell, you're there. Verse number eight, verse nine, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, if I fly away and I try to bury myself in the deepest part of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Uh, let me say this. We just mentioned it, but God's omnipresent uh, presence means that we cannot contain God and speak about him having a certain size, you know. We, we talk about ourselves in size or don't talk about ourselves in size. And, you know, we have a certain height and we have a certain weight and we have a certain shoe size and we have a certain waist size and we have, uh, you know, all of those different measurements that are used to determine us. The amount of space that we take up, not a single one of those can apply to God. Not a single one of those. Uh, size implies that something is measurable, definable, and that also means that it has boundaries and limits. You know, if I'm 5'10 right now, that means I'm limited to that. I'm not 5'11. To say that God is a certain size would mean he is not another size. And God has no limits. He has no boundaries. Uh, God is infinite. And because God is infinite, size, boundaries, limitations, measurements do not apply to God. Uh, therefore, you know, you, and certainly you, you may have a child that will ask this in, in childlike faith. But to ask the question, how big is God, doesn't apply. Because God is not big. He doesn't have a certain size. Uh, he is everywhere. He is omnipresent. The presence of God throughout the whole of space, universe, earth, everything uh, is uh, not subject to God being distributed to each one of those places. Uh, God cannot be separated or divided in a way that one part of his being is here in heaven. One part of his being is there. In hell, as we just read in Psalm 139, uh, another part is there and not here. Uh, God, uh, the whole of his being is always everywhere. No less and no more here than there or there than here. Uh, God is omnipresent according to his being. Uh, and I think this is a statement there in your handout, actually. Um, I'm kind of jumping around here on a couple things, but on that second side second page of your handout, God is omnipresent according to his being and not just according to his operation. And that's important to remember because God is not present just in his influence and power. You know, it's not just that God can do things in all places. God has influence. God has the ability Okay, to, to work in all places, but God is present in those places. He himself is wholly present throughout the world itself. Uh, God is so infinite that he is uh, in part of every part of life and time at the same point of life and time. Again, it's not just that a part of God 
is in that pointer space. You know, I was talking with somebody this week. Uh, it's not just that here at this moment, God's big toe is here. And that in another place in the world, God's left earlobe is there. No, it's that all of God is here and all of God is there at the very same time. Go to uh, Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter number 23, and look at verse number 23. Jeremiah 23 and verse number 23. The Bible says him, I a God at hand or near, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off. Verse 24, can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. God's not psychic that he can just see everywhere. No, God is everywhere. God, the presence of God is everywhere. Uh, he's not a God who has to take time to get to us or has to travel long distances to meet needs or because he's helping or saving someone else, he can't help me or save me at this moment. No, God is present. God is right there. And again, look at verse 24. He says, do not I fill heaven and earth. The fullness of God, uh, not just a part of God, not just uh, uh, portions of God, but the fullness of God is everywhere all at once. Uh, There's a story of a missionary uh, named W.G. Holmes in India, and uh, he wrote about observing uh, Hindu worshipers, and they would walk around and they would knock on trees and they'd knock on stone, and he watched them knocking on the trees and the stone, and he heard them whispering, are you there? Are you there? What were they doing? They, they were hoping to hear from the gods that they thought might be within. Now, as we learn this truth, as we learn uh, this, this, this attribute of God, of his omnipresence, then, then we can answer with that question that, that God is there. Now, not, not that God is in the tree and not that God is in the rock, but that he is there because he is everywhere. He's not confined within the stone or the tree, free in the universe, all around us, near to everything, next to everyone, not contained by anything, but sustaining everything. Again, this is important to remember, and this is where uh, we have to make sure we separate it from false teaching, because although God is present throughout all things, he is distinct from all things. You know, false teaching or pantheistic religions uh, would teach that because God is everywhere, he is everything, but that is not true. Uh, God is, uh, because God is essentially everywhere, that everything is essentially God. But that is not true. Uh, God minus the world still equals God. Remember, we said that God is self-existent. He does not need us. He does not need his creation to exist. He is not his creation. He is separate from his creation. The universe is a creation of God, and because of that, no part of him. All things on this earth... All of us are sustained in being by God. Uh, go to Ephesians chapter number one. Ephesians chapter number one. Look at verse number 22. Ephesians chapter number one. Look at verse number 22. 
The Bible says, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. 23, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Uh, look at Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1. And look at verse number 17. The Bible says, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. By him all things consist. That means they stick together. They have their life. They have their being. God is everywhere, and we are in him. Uh, look at Acts chapter number 17. Acts chapter number 17. Acts chapter number 17, and look at verse number 27. We read this story before, talking about Paul and the Athenians, and he, I think we read these verses, but look what it says, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far for every one of us. He's not far, he's that God that is near. Verse 28, for in him we live. And move and have our being. Literally in him, in his presence. Uh, there is no one who is too far from God. No one that he can't reach. No one that he can't hear. No one that he won't receive. No one that won't be accepted by him if they turn around and realize that he's right there. Go to Hebrews chapter number 13. Hebrews chapter number 13. And look at verse number 5. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5. The Bible says, let your, or let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And certainly we, we, we read about that in, in the Great Commission when Jesus said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And, and such a wonderful promise and we take so much comfort. But when you connect that with the fact that God is already everywhere, it takes on a new meaning. Because here's the thing, it is impossible for God to leave us or forsake us because that would be a change in God's character, which we just looked at last week, a break in his promise. Uh, it's impossible for God to leave us or forsake us because he is everywhere all at once. God cannot leave us for or forsake us because he is here. His presence is here. Let me say this, and this is the, the bold statement on the first page of your handout. I told you it was a little out of, out of order here. But for God to leave you, or for God to forsake you, would be for God to cease to exist. For God to leave you or forsake you, would be for God to cease to exist. He can't. Because who he is is omnipresent. Who he is is everywhere, present everywhere at all times. And so for him to leave you or forsake you would be for God to cease to exist. And we know that that will not happen because he is eternal. So God cannot leave you nor forsake you. He is omnipresent 
present. But how does that apply to us today? And certainly we can take comfort, we can take encouragement, knowing the fact that he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. We know that that's impossible for God to do. So that's a wonderful thing. But why else or what else can we take from this? Uh, go back to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. And look at verse number 23. Jeremiah 23 and verse number 23. God says, am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? My God at hand. God's asking you that question. My God at hand. Am I a God that is here? Am I a God that is present? Am I a God that is right here, right now? God says, is, is that who I am? And obviously we know the question. He says that, yes, that Scripture verifies that that's true. And so I think then as we ask ourselves the question, or as we talk about God being omnipresent, this is that statement on the second page of your handout, the question to ask about God's presence is not, is it here? God, out of all of the attributes in Scripture, God's omnipresent is one of the most clearly taught. We, we can see that very plainly. In very clear language, God says, I'm everywhere. I fill the universe. Uh, right here, am I, uh, am I God at hand and not a God afar off? So the question is not, is it here? We know that it's here. We have the truth of God's word to tell us that God's presence is here. Right now in this room, we can believe that God's presence is here. So the question is not, is it here? The question is, are we aware? The question is, are we aware of it? The question is not, is God here? The question is not, uh, will God be here? The question is not, will God be with me? No, are we aware of him being with us? Are we aware of him being here? Are we aware of him being where we are? That's the question we need to ask. Go to Psalm chapter number 16. Psalm chapter number 16. And look at verse number 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Now, question. That says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. If God's presence is everywhere, wouldn't that mean that all of us should have joy all the time? If we're in God's presence. Now, while you think about that, let me submit to you. I believe there's a difference with being, and this is going to sound, you have to think about this, all right? There's a difference with being in the presence of God and being in God's presence. I know, that's deep. But I believe that there is a difference between being in the presence of God and being in God's presence because there in verse number 11, when, when David says, in thy presence, 
That's just not talking about being where God is. That's talking about being before his face. That's talking about being close to him. When you get in somebody's face, that's pretty intimate, you know. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty close. So there's a difference just with being where God is because we're always where God is and being in his presence. Again, the question is not, is he here? The question is, are we aware of it? Are we looking for it? Are we trying to see his face? You know, when we pray, it's not a prayer for God to be present. When we ask God to be with us, that's not a really accurate prayer because God is with us. And I think God knows what we mean when we say that because in reality, it's a prayer for God to be active. It's a prayer for God to be working. It's a prayer for God to be speaking. You know, when we ask God to be with us, what are we really asking for? Are we asking, we're asking for his protection. We're asking for his direction in that moment, his provision for a need, his deliverance from a trial, for his working in our life, for him to lead us, for him to guide us, for us to bless us. We're asking for the visible and noticeable activity of God moving and working in the heart of man around us. So if that's what we mean when we pray God be with us, then let's pray those prayers. Let's not just pray, hey, God's with me today. What do you want? God's with you. So what do you want? How do you want God to be with you? Do you want him to lead you? Do you want him to guide you? Do you want him to protect you? Do you want him to provide for you? Do you want him uh, to work, be visible? Do you want to be aware of him being around you? Uh, that's what we need uh, to pray for. Boy, I, 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 we just need to be aware of God's presence Go to Exodus chapter number 33, and I'll finish with this this morning. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Exodus chapter 33. This is after Moses has gone up onto Mount Sinai the first time. They're already out of Egypt. The Israelites are already out of Moses has gone up on Mount Sinai the first time. He's gotten the Ten Commandments. God's already given him part of the law the first time. He goes back off the mountain, finds that the children of Israel have made the golden calf and are worshiping it. He gets mad. He throws it down. Uh, God punishes the children of Israel. So now it's time to go back moving. But Moses is not so sure he wants to do this. Moses is not so sure that uh, all these people are worth this. So look at verse number 7. It says, And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, far off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass, when Moses went out unto the tabernacle, that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses stood into the entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended, the evident presence of God, and it stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses, face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, 
a young man returned, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I might find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. You see the, the conflict in Moses. And certainly, if we'd had to go through what Moses had to deal with, I know I'd have quit a whole lot sooner. But Moses is conflicted here, and he says, God, I've got to have. And look what God says in verse 14. He says, and he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Now, is God saying that he is only with the children of Israel, like God himself, all of God centralizes only with the children of Israel, and, and he was only going to be one place. Uh, God, God would be here, but not there. One place, but not another. Staying where the Israelites were not, and God says, okay, I'll go with you. No, we just established that God is everywhere, so what is God saying here? Verse 15, Moses, he said unto him, if thy presence Go not with me, carry us not up hence. For herein shall it be known, here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight, it is not that thou goest with us. So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by uh, name. And he said, I beseech thee, Moses says to God, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. The evidence of your presence. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face for there shall no man see me and live. Verse 21. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and it shall cover thee uh, with my hand and while I pass by, and I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. What is Moses asking for here? Is Moses asking for God's presence just to go with him? You know, God, we want you to be where we are because we don't want to be where you're not. No, because God is everywhere. Uh, God's presence is everywhere. He is in all things. He fills all things. So what is Moses asking for? Moses is asking for the, the working of God, for the knowledge of his presence, the awareness of his closeness, the leading and guiding and protecting and provision of God for God to be active in their midst. Wasn't enough for Moses just to know that God was there. He wanted God to be doing something. He wanted to be so close to God. He wanted to be that friend speaking face to face, in thy presence, being face to face, being so close that you can hear a whisper. That's what Moses wanted. That's what we ought to want. God's everywhere, and we ought to take great comfort in that. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. For God to do that, he would cease to exist. He would cease to be God. He can't leave you. He can't forsake you. But we ought to want something better. Uh, I wrote this down, and it's not in your handout, but it's good. Not just the hearness of God. We don't want just the hearness of God. We have that already. We want the nearness of God. We don't want just the hearness. We don't want just the knowledge that God is here, and that's important, and that's good, but we want the nearness of God. 
We want to be close. We want him to be working. We want him to be speaking. And that's what we want. God is omnipresent. He is here. But is he near to you? Are you near to him?